two of the Advent subjects today, as you've already noticed, peace and joy. So that means the message, of course, is going to be twice as long as usual. So y'all settle in, get comfortable. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that to you guys. But we're going to try to run through some of this. Um, I'm going to start with peace. And um, as I was preparing the message, I have to say I thought a lot about George Cush's message last year. He did peace last year. I still think it's the best message on peace I've ever heard. I just thought he did an outstanding job, and it just kept coming back to my mind as I was preparing for this. And so, George, thank you again. I thought that was marvelous, and it, and it made a lasting impression on me. So, you guys have heard me talk before about my aunt, my Aunt Alice. She's actually a great aunt. I mean, she's a fantastic aunt, but I think... She's not exactly my aunt, but my great aunt. And she's the one that loves to say, let the peace of God rule. That's like her favorite saying, let the peace of God rule. And the thing about Aunt Alice is she lives that way. I mean, you see it in her life. She's been through a lot of tough stuff. And man, she's just cool as a cucumber. She's just even killed. And she'll tell you in a minute, let the peace of God rule. But Aunt Alice, the house is on fire. You know, let the peace of God rule. You know, we got to let the peace of God rule. I remember being, it was, it was my uncle uh, George, her husband's funeral that we were at. And one of her sons has, I think it's five kids. I lose count. I don't see them all that much. But got a, got a lot of kids. And they're teenagers and this sort of thing by this point. And so we're, we're at the funeral home, having the funeral, doing all that stuff, and it was, I don't know, we were waiting on something, it was in between things, people kind of milling around, and one of the boys had some sort of seizure, it fell out, and it's scary stuff, you know, they have to call an ambulance, they can't, you know, get him to respond and that kind of thing, um, and his brothers and sisters were very upset, and one of them in particular, one of the boys, he was just frantic and he's saying yo we gotta pray we gotta be yo come here come here we gotta we gotta pray well i mean thank god he knew where to turn i think that's that's awesome you know and boy he was praying and i'm talking about some fervent praying you could just tell this guy was he was upset he was scared he was worried about his brother understandably and my aunt alice the boy's grandmother is sitting in a chair over there just kind of rocking let the peace of god rule Everything's going to be all right. God's got all this under control. Just y'all got to calm down now. Come on, we'll pray. It's fine. And I'm going, wow. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is wild. I mean, her, we're at her husband's funeral. Her grandson is being taken off in an ambulance to go to the hospital. We don't know what's about to happen, you know. And she's just calm as she can be, you know. Let the peace of God rule. So that's kind of what I want to talk about. By the way, the boy was fine. I don't remember. There's some kind of some kind of condition that, that pops up every now and then and causes that, but he's, he was fine then and he's fine today, all that's well. Um, so I'm thinking a lot about peace and kind of what that means, you know, what exactly is peace and what is the scripture more importantly, what is the scripture talking about when the scripture says peace, when it, when it uses that word. Now, of course, there's a diff, uh, dictionary definition of the word peace that is something like lack of conflict or tranquility. So, you know, when things are calm, you can even 
used that to talk about, you know, an ocean. Jesus, one time, they caught him. They had to go wake him up. There's a storm. They're all scared to death. They're about to sink. They're going to die. It's awful. And Jesus is asleep, you know, in the ship, just asleep. And they go get him. He said, ah, you guys, what's wrong with y'all? You've been with me all this time, and you're still worried about silly little things, about deadly storms out on sea. My goodness. And he goes out and says, peace be still. And the ocean calms right down. So that's certainly a form of peace. And so I'm thinking about what does the world mean when the world uses the word peace? You know, when we hear that out in kind of in everyday life, what are we talking about? Well, if you can imagine, like, if everybody around you acted the way you wanted them to act, right? If everybody, like, agreed with you or at least didn't disagree with you, if they kind of did things the way you wanted them done, didn't get upset with you, didn't argue, didn't get mad because you left your socks on the floor, didn't wash the dishes or whatever, you know, burnt the toast. It's just, it's all right. That's, that's peace, right? You can, you can imagine that. If there's no conflict with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, if your boss sitting on your back, you know, if your spouse is not upset with you about something, there's no debt collectors calling, you know. Nobody's attacking you because of your political beliefs or your religious beliefs or any of that kind of stuff. No IRS. How about that? Can we start there? That would be peace, right? But one thing about this peace is that that peace is very easy to understand. Anybody can understand that, you know. If, if a couple of guys are talking at once, it's, man... That old Rob, man, he sure does have a lot of peace. And the other guy says, what are you talking about? Why wouldn't he have peace? Everybody around him just loves him to death, just adores him and fawns all over him. Nobody ever disagrees with him. If the man coughs, somebody comes running with a cup of water. <laughs> are you hungry? Can I make you a plate of biscuits? I mean, he's got it. Man, why wouldn't he have peace? He's got no problems. Everything's fine. The world understands that. That's, that's not hard to understand at all. But I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about peace. Now, sometimes, but I don't think that's the, the main point the Bible is trying to make when it talks about peace. And when we see a passage like I want to read for you, Isaiah 26, 3, we have this really cool promise. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Now, some people, some churches even, some, some ministers, will preach a kind of peace. I'm going to call it a prosperity doctrine kind of peace. I'm not a fan of prosperity doctrine, if you know anything about me. But there's this kind of peace that people will sometimes talk about. And they'll use verses like this. And say, what that means is, if you just trust in the Lord enough, if you put your faith in Jesus enough, he's going to work all these things out. Everything's going to be all right. You got problems in your marriage? Just put your faith and trust in God. He's going to work that out. You got problems at work? Just trust in the Lord. Have faith, and he's going to work those things out. 
it's kind of like they say sometimes with the with the financial stuff, you know. You got financial problems, man. You have faith in the Lord. He's going. He's going. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to have lots of money. He's going to bring it into you, right? Kind of that same kind of thing. He's going to fix all the stuff around you that robs you of your peace. But I don't think that that's what the scripture is talking about. In fact, I don't think Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that he could work all your problems out and make everything around you go the way you want it to go so that you can have peace, right? I think Jesus came here to change us, to change your heart, to change my heart, not everything around us. I mean, he wants to change the world, no, no doubt, but I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think there's two different kinds of peace. We'll, we'll just say it like that for my computer's locking up on me, so I'm going to switch to my notes. Give me just a second. In Matthew 10, verses 34 and 36, Jesus said this fascinating thing to me. This is, this is remarkable, coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Your enemies will be those of your own household. That's Jesus talking there. And Jesus said, that's what I came to do because of me, because of what I'm bringing, because of my message your enemies are going to be the people of your own household. Father against son, mother against daughter, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And boy, we know how nasty that can get, right? <laughs> and you know, when you think about it, even Jesus himself didn't have this kind of peace. I mean, Jesus was just the center of conflict. He had all kind of people upset with him. He had people in his family upset with him. He had friends doing him dirty. You know, one of his closest friends denied him three times the night he was arrested. I don't know this man. Why y'all keep asking me? I'm telling you. I don't know him. That was one of his closest friends and companions. One of his other so-called friends, of course, turned him in, you know, went to the authorities and, and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, led to his arrest. Then he was arrested wrongfully, hadn't done anything wrong drug before the authorities. He wasn't exactly convicted. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. But they said, oh, well, we'll beat him. We'll flog him. You guys have a good time. Mock him. Spit on him. Do whatever you want to do. And then we'll nail him to a cross and kill him. That's not the world's definition of peace, right? That just doesn't work with the world's definition of peace. And it's kind of like, as I was working on this, I thought it's kind of like there's two options for peace, right? Option A, everybody around you gets in line, straightens up, acts like they're supposed to, acts the way you want them to, behaves the way you want them to, respects you for the awesome person that you are, and quits giving you a hard time. That's option A, and then you can have peace. And good luck with that. And option B 
is where what's going on around you and the world around you doesn't affect your peace. It doesn't determine your peace. It doesn't really even come into play as to whether you have peace or not. That option A, that's pretty understandable, like we talked about. Everybody gets that. Nobody's giving you a hard time. Of course you got peace, you know. But the scripture says this in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. That's a different kind of peace. That's a kind of peace that the world doesn't understand. And you know, it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of unfortunate because that means to show that kind of peace to the world, we've got to have some conflict in our life, right? If things are going bad, things are looking rough, things are not good, and everybody can see that, and yet you have peace, that's peace that's hard for the world to understand. That's peace that passes understanding. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think that's one of the things Jesus died for so that we could have peace. I believe this is this peace that Jesus spoke of, in fact, in John 14, verse 27, when he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said, I got a different kind of peace for you guys. I've got a kind of peace that passes understanding. I've got a kind of peace that's not a temporary, momentary kind of peace that passes and fades away, but an everlasting peace. And that's the peace I want to give to you. And true, lasting, meaningful peace comes only from being in right relationship with God the Father. That's the thing. That's the key. You know, I ran for a long time. I ran hard for a long time. I thought I had peace. I thought I had joy. I thought I had all the things I needed. I was quite proud of myself, you know. But the truth is, I would never, ever, ever have true peace without being in a right relationship with God the Father. And I was not, and I knew it. And that's why I chased all these things. It's one of the reasons why I was always trying to find the next thing, you know, whether it was alcohol or whatever, whatever things I did in my life to try, you know, money and all that stuff, looking for that peace because I knew that I wasn't in right relationship with God. And I think that's a gift and a blessing from God. I think that's something he does for human beings is that they know somewhere inside of them, they know they're not at peace with God. Their relationship is not right and there's something wrong and I think that's one of the reasons why so many people are doing all the things they're doing trying to find some sort of fulfillment trying to find some kind of peace because God has made it so that there's only one way you can have that kind of peace I think that's a mercy from God remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples in, in Luke 12 Verses 4 and 5. I love this. Jesus just said some of the coolest things. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. Can you imagine? 
Somebody saying to you, who are you scared of that guy? All he can do is kill you. What, what's wrong with you? Do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What a powerful statement. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead. This is the Word made flesh, the one who knows, the one who ascended from heaven, who knows God. He is one with the Father, and he knows him better than anyone else. He says, don't fear people that all they can do to you is kill you and take your life. That's not worth being afraid of. You need to be afraid of God because he has control over what happens after you're dead. I thought a lot about Jesus on the night before he was crucified. Y'all remember he went to the garden to pray and he was in earnest. And, and I've had a lot of, I've struggled a lot, you know, thinking about that, reading about that and trying to think, man, what, what exactly was going on? Because Jesus knew the outcome, right? He knew what was going to happen. But yet here he is in this garden on his face, just crying out to God. And that said he was under such stress that he actually sweated drops of blood. You know, that's one of the things that some people used to point to and say, that's, that's one of the things that just makes the Bible just a bunch of junk. That's not possible. We know that doesn't happen. But it's actually happened. Actually, I remember reading the story of a guy. I don't remember what the details were, what he was going through, but he was under such stress that blood started showing up in his sweat. And, you know, all those people say, oh, well, I guess it can't happen, you know. So here's Jesus under such stress. I mean, this is not a picture of peace, right? I mean, he's under tremendous stress, and he's crying out to God, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. I think, and I don't know, there's a lot I don't understand about the Scripture, and I don't want to. I don't want to to suppose too much, but I think what was going on, I know this. I'm convinced of this. Jesus wasn't that concerned and stressed out and worried because he was about to physically be beaten and tortured and put on a cross. That wasn't it. I'm convinced of that. There was something else. You know, Jesus said, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And the question is, what was in the cup? And I'm convinced that he knew that for the first and only time, he was about to be out of a right relationship with God the Father. He was about to take on my guilt and my sin and your guilt and your sin. And the scripture says not only did he take it on, he became sin. And sin cannot exist in right relationship with the righteous and just God of the universe. It just cannot. And I don't know what all went into that. I I don't know. There's a lot of questions about what happened in between the time Jesus was crucified and was raised from the the grave. I, I, I don't know. I don't have those answers. But I'm convinced that that stress and that worry that he was under on that night 
it had to do with his relationship with the Father. And he knew that for however long, for whatever moment of time, that relationship was about to be severed. And he was going to be about to be in my position, you know. And if it worried him that much to think about being in my position, how ought I to feel about my position, right? Everybody wants peace, right? All God's children want peace. Like we talked about earlier, that's one of the reasons I think people do drugs and drink and all this other stuff. You know, even things like shopping and all this kind of stuff, you know, buying new cars and stuff like that, you know. It's this idea that when I get this next thing, man, that's going to be it, you know. When I finally get that house, man. That's going to be it, you know. Or just temporary relief that drugs provide, that alcohol provides. Even for a short time, you know, that people consider it worth it. And, and I've talked to people who are struggling with drugs and that kind of thing, and it's just remarkable to me. They know what they're doing to their body. They know. You know, but somehow it's it's worth it to them. Man, the, the stress, the whatever they're going through in their life, and part of it is because of the drugs. You know, it just feeds on itself. The more you do, the worse your life gets, you know, and the worse your relationships get, the more problems you get. And they know they're killing themselves, yet they keep doing it, you know, because that peace is so huge to us, you know, to have some peace. It's such a big thing for us. There's only one way to get it. And I'm going to tell you, there's only one sort of peace that's worth striving for and worth fighting for. And that's the peace that Jesus brings. Everlasting, eternal peace. You remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? And he said, if you knew who you were talking to, You'd ask me for a drink of water, and you would drink the water that I provide, and you would never thirst again. What a remarkable thing that is. But that's the way Jesus gives. Those are the kind of gifts that Jesus gives. They're eternal. They're everlasting gifts. You don't need to get peace from Jesus over and over and over again. You don't need to. It's fine to run to Jesus when things are wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But he gives peace and it's yours forever. And it never runs out. It never runs dry. And you'll never thirst again. Amen. All right. So let's move on to joy. In a similar way, when I think about joy, I thought the same kind of thing. Well, the world certainly has this definition, this idea of joy or happiness, whatever you want to call it. And how you can get it. You know, how you go about obtaining this joy. But... Is that the joy that the Bible talks about? Is that the joy that Jesus spoke about? <clears throat> and shouldn't we seek after joy? Doesn't it make sense? I mean, we, we strive for peace. That makes sense, right? Shouldn't we strive for joy? And that Doesn't that just make sense? I mean, if you're going to be here, are you going to seek after misery and heartache? I mean, doesn't it make sense to seek after joy? And we certainly do. I mean, it's even in the Declaration of Independence. 
Do you ever think about that? The Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's one of the three fundamental rights that our founding fathers said these are human rights. These are rights that everyone deserves to have, the pursuit of happiness. So how do you get it? How do you achieve it? How do you have joy? How do you have happiness? Well, the world's got a lot of thoughts about that, right, and a lot of answers for you. Is it money, wealth? Is it a successful career? Is it fame? Is it having a large enough bank account that you can go buy whatever car you want to buy? Or you can go buy, <laughs> you can go buy whatever house you want to buy, right? Is that it? Is it the admiration and adoration of multitude of fans? You know, is it enough likes or whatever you call those things on social media? You know, is it enough people watching your videos or reading your blog or buying your book or whatever, you know? Is it going out in public and people want your autograph and tell you how awesome you are, you know? I got my suspicions because I've heard of a lot of famous rich people committing suicide. I've heard of a lot of famous rich people getting hooked on drugs and going into drug rehab and winding up in all kind of dire straits. Y'all have heard all those stories. We, we know how that goes. So what's going on there, you know? It seems like that kind of joy, just like that kind of peace, is very temporary and very fading and very conditional, right? You got to be able to get the right stuff, you know, and you got to be able to get it at the right time and in the right way, or else you don't have that kind of joy. So here's another fascinating thing in the scriptures that I want to share with you here. I was reading one day, you know how this happens? I'm reading one day and I'm reading a passage that I've read many times before. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What did that say? Back up. Did that really says that? And it just blew me away. And I want to share it with you guys today. And maybe it's old stuff to you guys. But it just blew me away when I came across this one day. Do you know why? According to the scripture, Jesus endured the suffering of the cross. This is incredible. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Can you imagine that same Jesus that we were talking about in the garden, just broken and sweating blood and crying out to God, knowing he was about to be beaten and tortured and mocked and spit on, hung on a cross and die. He endured that for the joy that was set before him. That's remarkable, man. That must be some kind of joy, right? Man, that's the kind of joy I'm talking about. That's what I want. I, I just, I can't imagine, you know. That's not, man, that's better than a new car. It's got to be, right? It's got to be better than a, a mansion on a hill. 
That's incredible. And again, keep in mind, this is Jesus, Son of God, who descended from heaven, the one who knows. He knows who to fear, right? He knows better than all of us, and he knows what true joy is better than all of us. He endured that for the joy that was set before him. What a remarkable thing. You and I can have that same kind of joy because of what he did on the cross. You remember when Jesus sent out the 72, right? He sends them out on this, like, mission trip. He sends them out by pairs. He's, you know, don't take any money. Don't take extra clothes. Don't take extra sandals, any of that kind of stuff. Just go. Take off. God's going to provide for you. God's going to take care of you, you know, and he gives them these instructions, and they go out and do it, and they come back, and they were so excited. You remember? They were, they were all excited, and it's like, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they're all happy, and Jesus is happy, you know, and he's praying to God, thanking God for this and the way this has all gone out, you know, and it's, it's really cool. But then Jesus says this really interesting thing. This is from Luke 10, 19 and 20. Jesus said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. Hallelujah. (laughs) I read through that, and I think of all the services I've been in, all the prayer meetings or whatever, when people are quoting, you know, we have power over all the power of the enemy, you know, and nothing shall by any means harm us. We have the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and all that. And that's cool. That's really, really cool, and that's what these the 72 are so excited about because that's exactly what they were seeing. You know, even the demons were subject to them, and it was awesome, and it is awesome. But Jesus said, that's not even worth getting excited about. That's not even worth any joy. That's not worth rejoicing over. Let me tell you what's worth rejoicing over. Your names are written down in heaven. That's worth rejoicing over. Hallelujah. That's the joy that awaits every single person who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Every single one. I pray that means every single one in here today. And if not, get right with God. If not, call out to Him. Pray to to God that He would change you, that He would change your heart, and that He would provide that salvation for you. Jesus endured the suffering of the cross for that kind of joy. The joy that awaits those who are called according to his name, who have put their trust in him, those who he died for, shed his blood for, and redeemed by his sacrifice. So I'm saying to you, endure for the joy that is set before you. Endure. Endure whatever this life throws at you. Endure the suffering. Endure the trials. Endure the tribulation. It's worth it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. One of these days, we're going to be in the presence of the King. We're going to be worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of what Jesus has done for us. Hang in there. Hang in there. 
I came across one, one other thing I wanted to share with you guys that, that I, I, I read. I read the Psalms a lot. I love and I encourage you to do that. Several times in the Psalms, this is talked about. And, and when I read it, it always, I'm like, wow, you know, it's a little hard for me to get a hold of this. But I, I want to share this with you and kind of see what you think. This comes from Psalms 96, 10 through 13. Like I said, it's in a couple places in the Psalms you can find something similar. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I read that, and my first thought it, right? I read that, and I think, wow, God's coming, and he's going to judge the earth in true righteousness. And I read a lot about what the scripture says about what that's going to look like. And, and I read this and go, this says rejoice. Have joy. He's coming to judge the earth in righteousness. Hallelujah. And I think, wow, but that's such a, you know, that's tough stuff, right? It's hard to think about, even though I know, I know Jesus died for me. I know I'm covered. I know Jesus is taking care of that. I know I don't have to fear that judgment. Yet still, that's an awesome thing. To think about and and I think why would the scripture say rejoice about that here's what I think I've talked about this a little bit before if there's a reason in my opinion for Christians to actually not have joy to actually be grieved and be upset be concerned about something it's that God is not glorified in the earth the way he ought to be. He created this planet. He created this universe. He created this world. He created everything on it. Every single person that has ever lived on this planet is because God did it. And yet, the earth is not filled with praise for God. The streets ought to be filled with people glorifying God, praising Jesus. We ought to hear it everywhere we go. You know, when we're in the malls, we ought to see people on their knees thanking God, praising God. It ought to be on the lips of every man, woman, and child. The goodness and the greatness and the awesomeness and the glory of God. But it's not. In fact, it's kind of worse than that, right? Because we see the opposite. We see the world glorifying everything else. They don't have any problem glorifying, you know, a football player, basketball player, or a musician, or an actor, or actress. Don't have any problem glorifying a cool car, you know, or awesome movies, or whatever. Houses and clothes and all that kind of thing. We don't have any problem glorifying those things. You can make billboards. Put them up there. How awesome this person is or this thing is or whatever. That's fine. And mock 
God. The world's filled with people that, that just mock and deride our God. The one who created them. But one day, one day, he's coming back. And he's going to set all of those things right. And after that day, the world will be filled with the praises of God. And he will be surrounded forevermore as he's surrounded now with people glorifying and praising his name and worshiping him as we ought to. He deserves that. We just sang it this morning. He deserves that. I can't imagine the, the patience of a God who reigns over an earth that scorns him the way they do that refuses to worship and glorify and recognize and acknowledge him the way this world does. And yet, he has not yet laid us to waste. And more than that, he made a way for those sinners, those rebels, those mockers, those scorners to come to him, to be purified, to be cleansed of their sin and their guilt, and to become in right relationship with God the Father. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? True, lasting joy. Real, meaningful joy. Joy that will never end. Joy that will never be quenched. Comes only from being in right relationship with God the Father. And there's only one way to be in right relationship with God the Father. Only one. And that's why we're here. That's why we're celebrating this awesome season of Christmas. That's what all this Advent is about. He sent us a Savior because there was nothing else that could be done. No way we could do it ourselves. Absolutely hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Except for the blood of Jesus Christ that he sent to save you and I. I'm going to wrap up by reading you a few more passages. It's not a whole lot, but I really want to go through a little bit of this with you. I want to read from Luke 2. You're all very familiar with it. This is from the, the Christmas story. I just love it. 8 through 14, so I'm going to read. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. This is part of the prophecy for telling the coming of Jesus Christ. It says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Second Thessalonians 3.16, Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. And I want to leave you with this last from Jude, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and for forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord. You're such a tremendous God. You've been so good to us. You've been so patient, so kind, so loving. Thank you for this season of the year, Father. Thank you that at least at this time of the year, we remember the birth of Christ and we remember that you sent a Savior into this world for us, Lord. You didn't have to do it, but you chose to send your own son as a sacrifice for us, for sinners like me. And we just thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would just come to know you better and better that we would we would come to serve you better and better lord that we would just be better and better representatives of you we want to be like you lord that's what your word calls us to do so we just pray and ask you to make us more like you father help us to grow and to be the people that you've called us to be in jesus name amen